You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Thomas Frank. He's the author of What's the Matter with Kansas and The Wrecking Crew. Thank you for joining me, Thomas. You got it, Rick. Thomas, a couple weeks ago, you were writing about the President Obama's decision to uh, open up some new uh, areas off the nation's coast to oil drilling. And we now are in the midst of some news that I think makes that very pertinent. Right, and not news that has anything to do with oil, per se, but news that has to do with uh, the, the possibility that you know, that Congress will, re- will regulate, I guess for the first time ever, uh, the commodities market. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason that has something to do with oil, and this is, this is actually a very, very interesting subject, uh, because during the presidential campaign of 2008, you remember this, the price of gasoline went above $4 a gallon. Oh, I remember it. I paid for yeah, it. <laughs> it was the weirdest oil shock of all time because there was no embargo, right? OPEC wasn't, hadn't slapped an embargo on us. No embargo, no, no, no real reason. No real, well, they, they, you know, I went back and looked at a lot of the newspaper stories from that period, and mm-hmm. there was a lot of gloom and doom about how we had reached peak oil early somehow. You know, China and India are coming online. They're going to, they all want to drive cars in those countries. And uh, it was just happening, you know, really, really suddenly and much sooner than everyone expected. And, uh, and, and this was, I mean, you had these, these stories saying this is the end of the American way of life. You know, the suburbs have to go, all this sort of thing. And then the price of oil fell just as quickly. It dropped, um, oh, well, golly, I'm sorry, this is two weeks ago that I wrote this now, and I've forgotten the, 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 the prices. The, 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 the price of a barrel of oil hit this the highest price it has ever hit in the history of oil, in the history of petroleum. And then it dropped to, you know... 35. 35, yeah, it dropped to a totally normal price in a matter of weeks, okay? So the price went way, way, way up, and then just plummeted. And now it's sort of working its way back. Here we are two years later, and it's sort of working its way back up again. Okay, and all of this is without any, you know, any change in policy from the OPEC nations, you know, nothing. I guess maybe Venezuela is is doing is is up to something. I don't know what, but but it, it's it's the strangest thing in the world. And you remember the Republicans um, capitalized on this very effectively mm-hmm. with a slogan: uh, "Drill here, drill now, pay less." Okay, this was their slogan, and they, you know, I remember them chanting it at the Republican convention. It was it was very, you know, it was powerful. Uh, it moved the needle, as we say in Washington. You know, it was. Uh, but the, the and so when President Obama says, "Okay, we're going to drill off the coast of Virginia, or you know, whatever, off the coast of Alaska," I'm going to permit that. He's basically he's he's doing a sort of classic uh, triangulation. He's taking a Republican issue and making it his own, and he's sort of taking a slap at um, a member of his own coalition. You know, the environmentalists who are against offshore drilling, no matter where it is, but. And, you know, maybe politically, maybe that's really, really, really astute. I don't know. I don't think so, but maybe it is. I mean, who knows? But it won't do anything to the price of oil. It won't change anything. I mean, if you want, if you want to avoid an oil shock like we had in 2008, that had nothing to do with our failure to drill, you know, or with our, our problems um, 
or with you know environmentalists getting in the way of us drilling. It, it, it you know because the, the the amount of oil that you would get that way would be well well it'd be very it would be a drop a drop in the bucket essentially, and but there's been a lot of research on you know since then about what caused the oil shock of 2008 and mm-hmm. we pretty much know what caused it. This is gonna this is gonna be a this is gonna be incredibly shocking to you Rick and to your listeners. Commodity speculators. <laughs> Okay. Oh, really? Thanks, so, yeah. So. Thanks to the, the to the to the way the oil market is set up, it used to be it, it, when I was um, I remember researching this back in the '80s. They only moved it onto a uh, commodity market in the uh, in the '80s, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then they only deregulated that market completely just in the last few years. And then a, a bunch of uh, investment banks figured out ways that they could put uh, basically. Uh, any investors who wanted to could buy oil. Okay, and it's a, it's a long it's a long and complicated story because it doesn't sound like speculation. It sounds like responsible investing, but what it effectively did was drive the price of oil way 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 up. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when uh, when the when the financial crisis hit, you know, there's this liquidity crunch, and all these people pulled their money out, and boom, price of oil went right down. You know, it was it's it's totally understandable uh, in in those terms. And so, drilling offshore has almost nothing to do with it. There's plenty of oil in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the it's the commodity speculators that are between us and the and the oil suppliers. And so, the the answer to the problem is to regulate those uh, the the way commodities are traded. And it looks like we might they might just do this here in the next few days. This is part of the new uh, financial. Um uh, restrictions that are going to be put on the banks. That's right. Yeah, this is you're reading about it in the newspaper every day. The agriculture of all people, the agriculture committee. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a reason for that because commodities were originally invented to help farmers. They were, you know, they were they have to do with the price of grain and pork bellies and all this sort, of, you know, bacon, all that sort of thing. Uh, so farmers could hedge, you know, in case they had a, a a disaster or something like that. That's why they invented commodity exchanges, and so oil is now traded as a commodity. Along with all these other, you know, uh, metals and stuff like that, and so that's who regulates it. But yes, they're 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 actually going to do something about this. Isn't that the most amazing thing? It, it's it's really interesting to to see how far the um, the implications of what was lack of not just regulation, but I think uh, also just lack of oversight in in the past eight to ten years, where nobody's even bothered to look at this stuff because it was. Pulling in profits. It, that's right. Exactly. It was it was immensely profitable for well all the usual suspects. And as long as it's profitable for them, they're happy. But once the bottom drops out and everybody else is not only well, once the of gas, them, price of gas hits four dollars, there is nothing. Like, even Republicans uh, at the time were getting mad about this. John McCain was going after the speculators. Mm. Here's an interesting thing, though. Today. Um, it is, you know, I've been watching Sarah Palin's speeches. She's been traveling around the country on the Tea Party Express, uh, giving speeches, and she talks a lot about energy policy. It's uh, her fans say this is the, the, the field that she is a great expert in, and uh, you know, she's not ditzy when it comes to energy policy. Boy, she knows. Okay, well, uh, she never talks about this. Never talks about uh, the the problem of commodity speculators. It's always just about how we need to drill the oils out there. You know, this is what we have to do. Blah 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 blah. And it's just as though it's it's you know wiped off the mental map. It's mm. as though it doesn't even exist. It's the strangest thing in the world. Well, it's really easy to ignore those things that you don't understand. You just pretend well, they're, well, it's, they're no, not it's, there. No, it's not that you don't understand it. It's that it's it's politically. Um, um, 
inconvenient. Mm-hmm. You see, because mm-hmm. you remember who passed the the law that that made this, uh, you know, that, that that put commodities exchanges or well, commodity trades permanently out of, you know, you weren't allowed to regulate them. That was that was Phil Graham in in two thousand. The uh, you know Bill Clinton signed it, but this was a sort of long-standing goal of the free market right. And if you still believe in free markets, this is this is really um, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, uh, you you call this now that we're this ties into what you call the magnetar moment. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the ProPublica report on Magnetar, which okay. I thought was incredibly yeah, there's, fascinating. There's been some amazing financial news come, news stories come out in the last week, or two weeks, I should say. One, the, the one that everybody knows about has been the headlines in the New York Times for about a week running now. It has to do with Goldman Sachs, uh, which apparently structured a... You 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 know this, Rick, that, that uh, when you buy a, a more when you take out a mortgage on your house, the the mortgage gets these days gets packaged up and traded as a sort of bond, and investors are able to buy it and this sort of thing. And when they were uh, when they were issuing a lot of subprime mortgages, a lot of those uh, you know a lot of those bonds were very 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 risky, as we now know. We refer to them as toxic assets or troubled assets. Turns out that uh, Goldman Sachs, according to a lawsuit filed by the Securities and Exchange Commission, Goldman Sachs was deliberately issuing uh, these, these, these bonds, uh, these financial instruments that they knew would fail, uh, because they wanted to, one of their you know, very important hedge fund manager, who I, I think was one of their clients, this is all according to a lawsuit by the SEC, this hedge fund manager wanted to bet against these things, and so they, they packaged these things deliberately and sold them off. So that he would have, you know, he would have something to bet on. Now, there's another company that was doing something very similar. This is a hedge fund. It's always a hedge fund, right? Mm-hmm. It's a hedge fund out in Chicago called Magnetar. Okay, and Magnetar got into the uh, mortgage-backed securities, these bonds that I'm talking about. They got into this market right at the tail end. Okay, the real estate bubble. Everybody knew that the real estate bubble was over. This is like in '06 and '07. And this company suddenly appears on the scene, this hedge fund appears on the scene, and they are willing to buy the riskiest uh, mortgage-backed securities out there. Okay, they're Nobody else is at that point. Everybody else is like, I think this might be over. And they're like, oh, give it to me. You know, bring it on. And they load it up on this stuff. And they single because they provided a market for this, uh, because they provided a market for it, they actually kept the real estate bubble going basically single-handedly for an additional year and a half. You know, really? it's, one it's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a lot like the commodity speculators driving up the price of oil. They were you know, they were keeping this market alive uh, in real estate. And the funny thing is, so everybody at the time was looking at this company and saying, "Man, these guys are going to get burned. This is so bad what they're doing. You know, it's it's a terrible trade." And it turns out. That apparently, according to the report by ProPublica, they were all the time they were packaging up these bonds that they were buying and betting against them. Okay, I mm-hmm. guess the bets against them. The way it worked is that the bets against them were much larger than the than the actual mortgage-backed securities that they were, that they were buying. So they they were you know they were basically it was a you know heads I win tails you lose sort of scenario that they had figured out it's the most extraordinary thing you know mm-hmm. when you dig down into this report it's the most extraordinary thing you ever heard of but um so it's a company that looks like it's fantastically bullish on the housing market 
and in fact is the biggest bear of them all, right? It's just, <laughs> it's just selling the country down the river. And I was reading this, and a light went on in my, in my dumb little head. I was like, well, that's, that's the Tea Party movement, you know? They pretend to be uh, you know, really into sort of uh, primal 18th century democracy. You know, they wear their three-cornered hats and chant Jeffersonian slogans. And it's all about the, you know, the, 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 the little guy and the people and democracy itself. But the system that they want, you know, this sort of deregulated free market capitalism where all of these shenanigans go on, the system that they want would actually be ruinous to average people, you know, to your Jefferson, Jeffersonian yeoman, you know? Mm-hmm. It would, if you give that system enough time, it's going to kill us all. It's going to destroy us all. And they're out there chanting for this and waving their Ayn Rand placards, and it's like they're bullish on democracy, but in fact they're the biggest bears of them all. They're, on they're bullish on so aristocracy. It was like the magnetar of mm-hmm. social movements. Mm-hmm. Well, That's, that was my joke, Rick. It, was, it took a long time to explain it, <laughs> but there you have it. Well, well, I mean, they're bullish on, on aristocracy, and they don't seem to quite get who it, they're for. Yeah, but it's funny to be bullish on, you know, on basically having a system where people, where, you know, the kind of country that we were becoming before, uh, uh, before the financial crisis came in and wrecked everything, which is this country where hedge fund managers basically are the new ruling class, you know? That's the sort of country that we were heading to, and they're really into that, right? I mean, they don't come out and say, excellent, that's, what, that's the kind of America we want. But if they were to get their way, yes, that's what you're talking about. And they're doing it in a three-corner hat and, uh, you know, talking about the Declaration of Independence. It's, 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 well, I think the word is irony, Rick. Yeah, I, I, I it's, think... It's, it's, an, it's ironic. It's an ironic situation. We've gone from the Stone Age to the Iron Age to the Steam Age to the Gas Age to the Irony Age. <laughs> the Irony Age, that's good. Uh, and uh, who knows what comes next, but I'm sure you'll be able to tell us. I've been speaking with Thomas Frank. Now, Thomas, uh, you're in a new movie. Tell us a little bit about this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the, you, your, your, your reader, I'm sorry, your listeners probably know that I was in, they made a documentary of my movie, of my book, What's the Matter with Kansas. I'm in that, and it's in theaters now, but only in some cities. It's not everywhere. Um, but then there's another one, another movie that has just come out, or will be out next week, I should say, and it's directed by Alex Gibney, and your, your uh, listeners probably know about him because he, uh, he directed a movie about Enron called The Smartest Guys in the Room. It's a great movie. Oh, that's really, it's yeah, one of those so movies that's so terrorizing and he was funny to make a movie time. about Jack Abramoff, and here's the funny thing is I wrote a book, it wasn't about Enron, but Enron was a character in, in a book I wrote a long time ago called One Market Under God. And then I, myself, totally independently of Alex Gibney, decided I would write a book about Jack Abramoff, and this was The Wrecking Crew, which came out two years ago. And uh, so, anyhow, he interviewed me for, the, for his Abramoff uh, movie, and uh, I'm, I'm, so I'm in the movie uh, quite a bit, you know, basically giving the thesis of The Wrecking Crew, which Jack Abramoff was kind of an illustration of it. He, for me, Jack Abramoff sort of symbolized... You know everything that was wrong with Washington D.C. when I first moved here in the in the mid aughts. Okay, but here's the really crazy thing about this movie, and I've seen it. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a version of it. Uh, it hasn't you know hasn't been released yet, but but Alex sent me a version. Tom DeLay is in it also. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a guy that I've written about a lot, former uh, uh, House Majority Leader back when the Republicans uh, had the majority in Congress. And, and on Dancing with the Stars. And on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> That's right. But Tom DeLay is in this movie as well. And 
watching it, I was astonished to find Tom DeLay basically also reiterating the thesis of the Wrecking Crew. I mean, I don't think he's actually read the Wrecking Crew or anything like that, but it was it was it was the creepiest thing I've ever seen. It was there's there's a couple interview you know segments of the interview with him where he's basically giving my argument about about how Washington works. Of course, he's totally in favor of it. I think it's reprehensible. He thinks it's great. <laughs> Well, he's but still he, dancing. You've got to see it. It's a really good movie. It sounds like it. I've been speaking with Thomas Frank. He's the author of What's the Matter with Kansas, The Wrecking Crew. There's a movie based on What's the Matter with Kansas. He's a columnist for The Wall Street Journal, where you can read him every week. Thank you for joining me, Thomas. Anytime, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.